Good evening. I'd like to call to order this February 22nd, 2022 school board budget work session number three, budget public hearing number two, special meeting to approve submission of school board budgets to city manager and closed meeting. Ms. Goodell, could you take the roll, please? Uh, yes, Dr. Dimmick. Here. Ms. Downs. Here. Dr. Gould. Here. Dr. Ortiz. Here. Mr. Reitinger. Here. Ms. Silverman. Here. And Ms. Tice. Here. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Before we begin this evening, I would like to offer on behalf of the board, our condolences to the family of Andrew Weikart, who was a student at Meridian High School and passed away earlier this month. Could I ask the board to join me in a moment of silence in his memory? Thank you. Again, our thoughts continue to be with the Weikert family during this difficult time. And now, could I please ask my uh, colleagues to join me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. May I have a motion to adopt the agenda? Yes, Ms. Silverman. I move that the board adopts the agenda as presented. Thank you. May I have a second? Thank you. All in favor, this is for Mr. Reidinger. All in favor say yes. 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 <laughs> All those opposed say no. Thank you, Ms. Goodell. The motion passes. Thank you very much. We are now moving on to number two, uh, but uh, I'm sorry, agenda item number two, budget public hearing number two. In accordance with school board policy BDDHKD, the time for each speaker is limited to three minutes. Ms. Goodell, do we have any speakers this evening? Uh, no, no one signed up. For Thank you, Ms. Goodell. Agenda item number three, budget work session number three. We are gonna um, discuss budget questions and answers and I'll turn this over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you, Chair Downs. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, it has been um, a really great uh, opportunity for us to work together to put together this um, superintendent's budget, which we hope tonight we'll be able to turn over to you as the school board members as your adopted budget. Um, you all through this process have asked some really good questions. Um, and we have not received any more budget questions since the last time we met. So there are no budget questions this evening to review. Thank you. And any questions from uh, any follow-ups to the previous answers and questions from anyone? Okay, seeing none, we'll move on to agenda item number four and um, the strategic plan update number 4.01, and I'll turn it back over to Dr. Noonan. Thank you, Chair Downs. Um, give me just a second and I will pull up our, uh, my presentation for this evening. Um, my hope tonight is just to give you a very brief um, update of where we are with our strategic planning process. Um, we have continued to work uh, very closely alongside Ed Elements, who's been really terrific in sort of coaching us through the process of um, developing the strategic plan. 
Um, in fact, we've been we've been meeting um, almost weekly for a couple of hours. Had a meeting this afternoon um, as a as a um, coordinating team, um, and we're very excited in sort of where we are. Um, we have uh, not exactly met our timing milestones, but we have made a very clear decision that we want to do this right, as opposed to do it fast and make sure that we have the right impact, um, the right impact and also the right people around the table um, with respect to our strategic planning uh, process. So tonight um, will be a pretty high level overview um, with some work that still needs to be done with respect to measures and metrics and the like, um, but uh, excited to share with you where we are and then we'll be back uh, in the April timeframe to give you an even bigger update about uh, the publicly facing um, piece around the strategic plan and also more information with respect to measures and metrics. So um, with that, let me, let me kick us off. Um, in August of this last year, we really started this process um, and identified as part of it um, some strategic people uh, to help us define and think about key instructional priorities um, and help us drive practice uh, and across schools and also be well represented of the community. Um, three different teams have been in support of this project um, since August. Uh, and each of those teams, and many of you are on some of those teams, um, represent multiple stakeholder groups. Um, and I'm really pleased and proud that we've had um, you know, students, employees, community members, parents, alumni, and school board members all on uh, these different committees. Um, we've tried really hard to make sure that we um, get the input from everyone who's been as a part of this and also making sure that we continue to communicate about it. Um, and so in most of our communications, um, not in the last couple of weeks, but prior to, we're, we're um, fairly routinely reporting out about our strategic planning process. Um, specifically to highlight where we are and were with mission, vision, core values, and the like. Um, and so I'm, again, really pleased with, one, the overall impact um, of this project to our team, but also, two, uh, how many folks have truly been involved at a really deep and meaningful level. Um, you've seen this graphic before, um, but the exciting thing about this graphic is we're further along to the right. Um, which is which is a good thing. We've gone through the plan and align, um, and that was the phase where we really built out what the project was going to look like over the next several months. Um, the team from uh, Ed Elements was really um, ha has again continually been extraordinarily professional and helpful with development of that, which has allowed us to sort of keep this roadmap alive um, and move forward. We're through now foundations, and this is where we. Uh, gathered um, stakeholder materials and developed uh, readout information. We did look at strategic direction in deep uh, detail, uh, mission, vision, and values, and I'll share some of that with you tonight. And now we're really in the design and launch phase. Um, and this is the really the final phase of our strategic planning process. Um, in this phase, um, we will be developing sort of the outward facing um, documents that will be put out um, to the community um, that will be uh, professionally done, but the, more importantly than how professionally done it is, it's the content that's in there that really speaks to who we are and what the team uh, and representatives from so many different groups have come forward with with respect to what they're hoping to see from the schools. And then we'll do a final presentation. And then as part of that, we'll continue to work um, on this process uh, internally for quite some time um, as we develop our own planning documents behind the scenes that become um, sort of the, uh, 
this is a bad analogy, but um, if you were ever a triple A AAA member and you wanted to go somewhere, you could get a triptych, it was called, and it gave you the big overview, but then you also got little mini triptychs that you could see like when you got to the city, where exactly to go. But this is a little bit um, the way this is too. We have sort of a big broad overview, but now the work that needs to be done behind the scenes with the internal planning documents is really something that's gonna be helpful for us. Um, so we're, we're engaged currently in a prioritization process. Um, and again, we're gonna come back to you again after we've done some of that prioritization because we wanna make sure it's in line with what the school board is excited about. Um, John and his, his folks are working on some communication plans. Um, we're designing some review sessions uh, and then we will present the plan in the April, May timeframe to all of you and to the community. Um, so let me start with just mission and vision. Um, we, we did take a good look and we have some, first of all, we have some really great materials that are out there already. Our triennial plan has served us well for the last couple of years. Our mission, our vision, our values and our goals have, have worked very well. But this was an opportunity for us to really come together as a more broad group to identify um, is, is what we have been saying and what we've been doing really reflective of the Fuller community. Um, we thought it was because we had gone out and we'd done a number of um, conversations with the community, but it was time to sort of revamp it. So what we did is we looked at the mission statement um, through the lens of the intersection of these three questions. What, do we, uh, what in FCCPS are we really good at? Um, what do students need? And ultimately, what does the world need FCCPS graduates for? Um, and so that helped us develop and refine our mission statement. And then the vision statement is where do we wanna go from there? Um, one of the things you'll see when I share the mission and vision statement, it just hasn't changed substantively um, uh, from what it was before, but it has changed some. So let me, let me share with you where we are with our mission statement. And this has been vetted with you know, hundreds of people at this point, um, really, um, and it really came from the team. And it's as a premier international baccalaureate school division, Falls Church City Public Schools personalizes learning to support each child's unique needs and to prepare every student to be responsible, caring, and an internationally minded citizen. Um, and again, that's fairly aligned to what we had prior, um, but it I think is, has a little bit more punch to it than perhaps it had before. And our vision is to um, strive to create a student-centered innovative learning environment where all students belong and are included and empowered to excel. We foster the IB learner mindset to help every child develop skills necessary to succeed in the classroom and beyond. So if we were gonna look at that versus what uh, has been traditionally on the placemat that I think everybody at this point is fairly familiar with, you would see some overlap, but it's not a one-to-one. -one. Um, and it's not a one-to-one -one because our community came together and said they have some, some different things that they wanted to see in here. So particularly um, in, as, an, as an example is in the vision statement um, where you, you see the word belonging. Um, that was something that was really important to our committee was making sure that we had an environment that allowed everyone to belong regardless of who they were. Um, you see the term mindset. Um, using the IB learner mindset was something that came up a lot with the, the committees that were working on it as well. So there were some subtle, subtle changes. So where did that come from? It really came from these core values that were identified um, by the groups as they um, were working through this process. And the first core value was that academic success had to be at its foundation. So if you look at this slide, one of the things you'll see in this dark blue is it really does sort of represent 
the foundation of the mission and vision. Um, academic success is why people move here. Um, it is something that we all expect of our students, um, our community expects of us, and um, we really believe that uh, in order to get kids college or career ready, we need to have really significant um, and, and strong academic success. Another core value was um, being student-centered. Um, one of the things that we do really well here is we know our kids. We're very relational. Um, I, you know, I had the joy of walking through the cafeteria at Henderson today, and I knew 25 or 30 kids by first name. I don't know that there are many um, superintendents out there that, that do, um, but our teachers can translate that relational work right to what happens in the classroom as well and are able to differentiate instruction, to scaffold instruction for students that need the extra time and support for learning, are able to work through our intervention processes, whether it's tier one, tier two, or tier three, to ensure that each student gets exactly what they need at the time that they need it. Um, the third core value was inclusion and belonging. Um, that came up a lot, and I, and I wondered, um, it's probably a study for another day, but I wondered why it came up, and sort of my hypothesis is that um, as we emerge from sort of the ending parts, we hope, of COVID, um, one of the things that we think was um, extremely um, impacted was the notion of belonging um, with kids being at home, you know, being isolated and the like. Um, there was a lot, of, a lot of concern that was voiced by all of the committees about how do we come back together now and really celebrate all of us being um, this, this one community that um, includes everyone and everyone feels feels a sense of belonging. Um, the fourth is res being responsive and accountable. Um, any good plan has to be responsive, has to you know, communicate the ideas behind it, um, but also needs to embrace this idea of growth development and, and improvement. So we talked a lot about um, this notion of continuous improvement and doing progress monitoring of our goals so that we're continually receiving feedback uh, from uh, each other and from our community to identify where perhaps our strengths are, but also where some of our shortfalls are as we move forward. And the last is this community connection. Um, and again, this was another thing that I think came up. We've always talked a lot about um, the need for strong communication, but this was different. This was subtle enough um, that it spoke to this idea of really being connected and this notion of all of us being together. So you'll see a couple of pieces of word, a couple of bits of words under there. Um, but one of the things that you'll see pretty clearly is this idea that we network, provide a network resources for every member of the school community. And I think that that came out um, extremely strongly, particularly, particularly during the pandemic when we were making sure that everybody got food. Um, we worked with some families on some housing issues. We um, went to bat for some people on some job things um, to, to really try to make sure that we were a close and connected community. It doesn't, um, the one thing that this plan doesn't do is it doesn't um, in any way sort of undermine or uh, um, negate or whatever the case may be, what we have, have been and continue to be truly committed to. Um, what this plan really is intended to do is to take sort of our base level work and those collective commitments that we have made to each other and really reinforce some things, but also help us get better and continue to grow as a system. So I, there's a slide in here that talks about being committed to the following. And I wanna make sure that everybody understands that these aren't going away. The, while they may not be reflected as a one-to-one -one in the school planning process or the, the strategic planning process, 
there are elements of all of it throughout. Um, and we continue to work on that and refine it and make sure that it's aligned. But keeping students at the center, making sure that we are focused on high quality instruction, um, thinking about those individualized learning environments, making sure that we have a competitive, um, a competitive salary and benefit package for all of our all of our staff and faculty, thinking about those multi-tiered systems of support that I mentioned before, really focusing on social emotional learning and mental health, making sure that we continue to foster a sense of caring and welcoming cultures. Um, and active and compassionate lifelong learners is what we all aspire to be. Um, and this will continue to be in our, in our planning processes, uh, being responsive to the current needs. You know, one of the things that's a challenge anytime you do strategic planning is you don't know what's going to happen two or three or four years down the line. And so how do we, uh, how are we able to adapt and modify and adjust um, to meet the needs? So that's something that I think we do really well here in the city of Falls Church. And I, again, I think it was evidenced during um, COVID to a great degree. And then lastly, um, removing systemic barriers to equity um, and making sure that we are always interrogating our own policies and practices to make sure that we root out uh, as best we can inequity and provide adults and, and students even uh, training to help with their learning environments. So with those sort of as the base level, um, knowing what our core values were, and by the way, with those core values, there were about 35 core values that were identified, as you can imagine. So we did go through a pretty significant process to winnow that down to, to five or six. Um, so what you saw were those that rose to the highest level. Um, but what came out of those core values, that mission, vision, and our um, development of these non-negotiables or uh, collective commitments are the focus areas that you will see in some of the um, documents that we are thinking that we are going to produce that essentially become the five pathways, if you will, that we'll be working through um, as we continue our work with our strategic planning process and moving forward here in the city of Falls Church. And the first is IB infused teaching and learning. Um, again, core value, high quality teaching and learning in every single classroom that's rooted in relationships, connect connectivity, and also is welcoming. As one of eight now um, K-12 school divisions in the country that are IB continuum school districts, we have a responsibility, I think, not only to our community, but to the IB community as well, to make sure that everything we're doing has a, a lens of IB. And part of, part of the work that you'll see that will come out of this strategic plan is identifying what does it mean to be IB? Um, because there's still this, this sense in our community of people who think if you're not in the IB program at the high school, you don't get IB. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and I know I've said it here before, and I, I just wanna say it again, um, every student that comes into the system from pre-K all the way to 12th grade is in the IB program. Um, and so one of the things we feel like we need to do is some better communication around that, but also looking at our units of study, also looking at our approaches to learning and making sure that all kids understand why it is that we're doing what we do. Um, because at the, end, at the end of your high school career, whether you get the IB diploma or not, all of our students are better served by having the opportunity to work within that IB program. Um, the next is inclusion, belonging, and wellness. That's the second pathway that we're really spending some time looking at and identifying some goals uh, and some metrics around, um, but ensuring that we have a safe uh, place, a trusting environment where every person feels supported and belongs. Um, and that's something that, um, again, was, was a pretty high 
um, a, a high priority um, from the folks that we were, we've been meeting with. Um, the next is resource management and continuous improvement, making sure that we're good fiscal stewards, ensuring that we are taking care of what needs to be done, um, but at the same time, continuously improving and, and getting better at our practice. You know, it's not okay to slide um, and to, to not continually interrogate the work that we're doing. Um, communi communication and engagement, um, something that all of you I know are very interested in is how do you continue to build communication and engagement in the community becomes one of our focus areas. And lastly, investing in our people. Um, and this is a part where we're really excited because it speaks to this notion of professional learning. We know that we're a learning organization and when teachers are learning and staff are learning, students are learning. And unfortunately, one of the things that we have um, found through the pandemic, not just in our system, but across the country, is that in many cases, professional development and the like have gone away. Um, so it's, it's almost like a reinvestment into, into our people here in the City of Falls Church. So those are the five focus areas that you will see everything um, that we're doing behind the scenes connect to one way or another. And they're, they're broad enough, we believe, to be able to connect um, whatever, whatever the str strategy is um, to this particular focus area. So as we talk about the design phase of, of where we are, um, there are a couple of components that I wanna make sure you all know that we're looking at that will be community facing. Um, you may remember um, months and months ago, you got a chance to see some examples of some of the strategic plans that um, Ed Elements has put together. Um, it may have been before some of the four new members time, um, but we were able to send out five or so different strategic plans to kind of see what does this uh, collateral look like that actually is is handed to someone that says here's who we are um, and so we've had some really thoughtful conversations I think behind the scenes and and with our teams about what should be in that document because there's one there's there's one thing to sort of say who you are and there's another thing to really go deep into um, measures metrics um, and and the like and we don't think that the top level collateral that we're handing to people should include too much more than just what you see on the on the top of this slide our mission our vision our values and commitments the areas of focus which are the five that i just went through um, major goals around around those five areas and what success looks like um, so that people can see what that vision is actualized and then a preview of a couple of strategies within each of those um, big ideas around goals and impact. It would be, um, we've, we've often used the terminology of a bite, a snack, and a meal, right? And so this becomes sort of somewhere between a bite and a snack, but it's certainly not the full meal. Um, so what ultimately we will have is, a, is continued work, and John has been working really diligently on the website, but continued work to have all of the information available to anybody who wanted to, to dig deeper into the strategic plan. But for anyone who just wanted to see who is this, who is this school system, the city of Falls Church Schools, um, they would be able to pick this up and kind of look through it and see, okay, there's some good information in here about where, where the division's headed. So again, on the computer, some of those things that would be more detailed would be those strategies and then the approaches to how uh, we intend to get to those strategies as well. Oops. Um, so in terms of the um, work with the steering and the project team, um, some of the things that we've had to, to look at is, is, is the work that we've done aligned to the core values and needs of our stakeholders? And does it solve for what we heard from the stakeholders? And so on the right-hand side, you've seen this graphic before, but we had 
over 521 stakeholders just in the community assessment. We hosted 13 focus groups with the community and staff. We've had 200, um, over 200 staff, teachers, students, school leaders, and the like participate in town halls and other meetings. We had 86 people sign up for the virtual town hall that we held. Um, and all of that data, all of those data have been churned through, aggregated, disaggregated, analyzed, and what, what you'll see ultimately in our plan and what you're seeing already is an absolute outgrowth of what all of these folks have shared with us. Um, and if ever you wanted some information just to, to take a look at so you could see what all the feedback was, it's, it's reams of paper, but we'd be happy to share that with the school board as well. So what's next for us? Um, that gives you sort of the top level, right? So that gets us to about a third of the way. Um, it's like an iceberg, right? Um, in some ways, a third is gonna be above the water and two thirds is gonna be below the water. So the third that you're seeing is mission, vision, values, goals, commitments, some strategy, but the real work that needs to be done happens under the surface that the, most of the community doesn't really know about. Um, so now we're working on what happens under the water. Um, and finalizing many of the components for first the, the outward facing piece of the plan, which is the above the water. Um, but we really are working deeply on those work plans for um, what, what will guide our work around these five, five pathways going forward. Um, we're also developing progress monitoring tools. Um, and I don't know if that's a new term for some of you, but progress monitoring is a term that we utilize in response to intervention or in our MTSS process where if you do an intervention, you need to progress monitor to determine whether or not that intervention is being successful. And that's what part of what we do with our own intervention plans. But when we start on a strategy, we also need to determine whether or not that strategy is working. So we're gonna to continue to progress monitor the strategies to see if what we're doing is actually helping us achieve the goal that we're trying to uh, work towards. So we'll have milestones, benchmarks, waypoints um, for taking a look at that. Um, we're also working on updating the website and really targeting the April-May timeframe um, to come back to you uh, to include the community-facing plans as well as updates on our work plans. Um, so we, we are, um, we've had some really good, um, strong, powerful conversations about uh, where we're headed, and we're, we're really excited about continuing to prioritize the work. Um, and I think what we've, what we've got so far is a, is a really great start. Um, but the devil's in the details, right? And the meat is in, in the work. So we're excited to really get down to that uh, as we move forward. So that's where we are. Looking forward to coming back um, with this plan in the April-May timeframe, but I'd be happy to answer any questions that you all may have regarding our um, strategic plan. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. That was really informative. Any questions from the board? Yes, Dr. Dimmick. I guess I just thank you very much for this. I want to say a thank you to all of the people who have put their time in. I've gone to a number of meetings and been really impressed by the turnout, um, not just of staff and students, but also community members and there are many people involved. So grateful to everyone for putting their time in. We are too. Thank you for saying that. I, there definitely has been a lot of time spent. Yes, Ms. Silverman. Um, echoing off of uh, Dr. Demick, but also wanted to really thank the community. Um, I'm very impressed with how much 
outreach the administration has done, but how responsive the community has been to that outreach. And I just want to thank everybody for submitting their comments or joining focus groups or just taking the time to look at the plan and educate themselves. And so thank you to everybody. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. What else? Uh, Dr. Noon, I have, I was on uh, uh, a gifted and talented advisory committee meeting uh, last month, and um, the chair had asked when the advisory committees would be able to give input. And so I'm not sure. I know we obviously we have five, over 500 people. I didn't know if that would be something that maybe for our advisory committees, the, the respective staff members could maybe provide this um, presentation and maybe each committee over the next month could have a conversation about what how their particular focus um you know jives with this uh where we are right now yeah let me yes thank you let me take that back to those committee advisory um staff liaisons and see if we might be able to get them to provide something um one one thing we tried not to do was to do very specific um outreach to specific groups but instead right. do a much more broad look that's why we advertised all of the you know opportunities to to weigh in and to to come to these meetings and the like um but but maybe maybe it would be a good opportunity to give folks a chance to know kind of where we are in right. the process right and right happy, and, to, happy right. to do that okay great thank you and I, and I understand why that approach for sure um but i, I you know our, our advisory committees do hit so many so many different aspects of our of our school system so thank you for that i appreciate it absolutely yes mr reininger Of course, I would like to. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we can't hear Phil. Is that better? Yes, thank you. We can hear you now. Okay. <laughs> um, I was I was saying I I agree with the chair that I think getting feedback on the advisory committees, especially groups like health and wellness, given one of the um, priority areas, the focus areas is wellness would be pretty important. Um, and I apologize for getting a bit more detail, but um, the first thing I noticed, which, and I think you chose the right word, but in the mission, it actually ends with the word citizen. And citizen has a couple of different meanings. And I, I, I think we mean, you know, not a citizen of the United States or the state of Virginia, but as sort of a, a citizen, a, a fully involved and active person in the greater body politic, if you will. Um, and, and I think that actually is the right word that may very well be the right word. I just wanted to sort of flag it because other people may bring different thoughts to that word. We, we had a very spirited debate about exactly what you're talking about. Um, and that that came through particularly with some of our ESOL parents and some of our um, ESOL advisory folks that actually were at some of the outreach meetings. Um, and, and we were very thoughtful to suggest that it wasn't about citizenship. It was really about you being a citizen, a global citizen, kind of utilizing some of the language of IB as well. Um, but thank you for, for flagging that. Uh, and I said, I, I think I would stick, I think that's the right word. Uh, but it's, I just was, I, I, I thought maybe that's not the right word. And then I thought it was the right word. So just wanted to flag it. Um, the, uh, 
you know, the one of the things is, you know, at the end of the day, and I've done strategic plans a bunch of times, right? It's not, and I think we need to keep this in mind, it's not a strategic plan for the administration or even just the schools. It's a strategic plan for everybody, including the board, right? So what I would like to come out of this is a set of objectives and what the board's going to be focusing on over the next five years, right? And not just the pieces that we're looking at. Now, I, I looked at the priority areas, you've got the, the focus areas, and I think those hit the right ones, right? You know, the, the first two sort of focus on the teaching and the environment in the schools, and there's the means to do it. And then there's the, how we take care of ourselves and our staff so that we can get all that done. And that, that, that's a nice breakdown. I really like how, how you and everyone did that. Um, but I wanna make sure that we, we, we don't get lost in saying who we are and we focus enough. And I know this is the part that's coming up on what we're going to do, right? So those first two, actually all five of those pieces tell us pretty well sort of what our day-to-day -day work looks like and how we get better in a, you know, that continuous cycle of improvement. What are the things we wanna make sure we're bringing belonging along, we're increasing wellness, we're the IB for all pieces, all of that is sort of boiled into those pieces. Um, but it doesn't sort of tell us about any bigger things that we wanna do that are not day-to-day -day changes and continuous improvement. And the best example I can think of that right now is, do we actually wanna be a sustainability academy? And we talked about this recently. And do we wanna be a governor's school? Now, I know it's too early in the process, but if that is actually gonna be an objective and it's gonna be a multi-year plan for us, then that needs to be incorporated in some way in the strategic plan and approved by the board so that we're actually doing all the things we need to do to make that happen. It's gotta be a, you know, it, it's not one of those five things, but it's gotta be one of the goals and objectives. So I'm super interested to see what the goals and objectives are um, when they come out. And it's not, because like, what are, not only what are we going to do, what are we gonna focus on, but what are we gonna do differently? Where are we gonna put the priorities? Where are we gonna put the resources? Where are we as a board? And we can always change that, of course, but what's the plan? How are we going to invest? What are we going to do over time? Um, and so it's, I really would love when we get to the end and we go through this strategic plan for the objectives to sort of lay out and we can change it as we go along, but we ought to be able at the start of every school year to say, well, we know what we're focusing on this year. We know what the board's goals are. So if we do a board self-evaluation in the future, it's not navel gazing. We're actually looking at what our objectives were and how we did on them. And it's, it's not just evaluating you, it's evaluating us, it's evaluating everything. And so that goes into the metrics and measures, but it, I think we need concrete enough measures and clear enough objectives that we really wanna know what we wanna do year over year for the next five years. So that leads to, I think the, the last thing I'd say is I'd really, rather than waiting until you know, April to hear from you and sort of be presented with the full plan, I, in particular, would like to see, I don't need to see everything, but I'd like to see that, that package of goals and objectives kind of culled out. Because I think you know, that's the thing at least I'm the most interested in. What are the goals and objectives and what are the milestones to get there? So that we've actually got the means to rigorously say what we're going to do and how we're going to work to improve. So that's um, 
probably more feedback than you wanted, but that's kind of what I'd love to see in the plans. No, no, I, I appreciate that feedback. We, we actually had a meeting this afternoon and I think we started to drill down on exactly some of the things that you're talking about um, and, and also trying to prioritize. Because one of the things that we found, and this was my feedback to our team was, as we've gone through this now, everything that's in here is really important to everybody, but we can't do everything you know, in one year. So we're going to have to met this work out over time and try to then prioritize within that. So one of the one of the cautions I would say is as we're developing those goals and objectives, we're going to focus on the more immediate um, and maybe not push off for time, but give us a little bit of time to get to some of the others. But totally agree um, that we, we want the same thing. We want to have very clear um, goal areas, objectives and milestones so that you can see how are we making progress on the road to this, this idea uh, or this work. So it's been an interesting conversation, I have to say, and it's just one last thing. And, and it's, uh, we've got, we, you get to learn people and their styles very quickly when you get into these conversations, because we have some people that are, um, you know, much more, um, sort of disperse in their thinking and we have some some folks that are much are divergent and we have much more convergent people we have linear sequential people and we have some people that are maybe thinking about things in a very different strategic perspective and trying to bring those worlds together has been a challenge but um, it's good to have everybody on the team because it will help us get to that place that i think we all aspire to thank you dr and thank you mr anger those are Excellent points. Yes, Vice Chair Gould. Yeah, echoing the compliments of the uh, community, the stakeholders that have been part of this. I think there's a, there's a a common refrain in school leadership, the rearview window leadership, where you know we're always looking backwards to try to put out fires. Or um, and I, I know you've seen that and, and heard that refrain. I think it's applaud the fact that we are also we've got to always do that, but we're also trying to make sure we're looking forward. And I think this is. Um, this is going to help us, especially with the number of people that are involved, to help us hold us accountable to continue to look forward and not just look backwards. Um, the comment that I would have is on slides five, six, and seven, the concept that we have the mission and vision of core values, then we have what we're committed to, and then we have the focus areas. And I think it, the experience that I've had with strategic planning as well is, like you said, there's a lot of different ideas and how do we pull those together and how do we be succinct? I wonder if there's a way that we can communicate to make sure that we understand how those three areas work together, how they relate. So it doesn't come off as here's a list of things that didn't make it in the core values. And you know, this is what we're committed to. And I don't know how to do that. I'm sure from a, might be just a visual or a graphic, um, but ensuring that as the community to uh, Chair Downs pointed out, like when we start messaging this out, like this is how these three core ideas come together, um, you know, around different, uh, uh, to make sure everybody understands. There's a, for example, the, the teaching aspect or the role of the teacher is much more prevalent in what we're committed to and the focus areas and less in the core values. And obviously that's a critical part, but how do we, how do we kind of make sure all three of these pieces work together? So that's my piece of feedback. I appreciate that feedback. And we, we do have a professional um, graphic designer that's going to help us with this through EE um, at Elements. So and, and I'm sure they're either watching or going to watch this presentation. So appreciate that. Yes, Ms. Tice. I just had a quick question to follow up on Mr. Reitinger's point that this is obviously something that you know, the board, the, a charge to the board as well. And I'm wondering if there will be a, a piece of 
of this work as part of our um, our retreat later this spring. Is that will we have um, time during the retreat? Sure. I'm, we haven't gotten to the mm -hmm. to the agenda, but that's definitely something we can talk about. Sure, we can certainly talk about it. I just wasn't sure if there was a specific role we would play at the retreat or any other feedback that we you know could or should be doing that like a lengthier conversation. Sure. Yeah, we haven't, we're still trying to get the date nailed done. So once we get that date nailed down, um, we will be in touch um, and, and uh, Vice Chair Gould and I will be in touch to get some feedback, but that's definitely consider that you've given me your feedback right now. <laughs> so we'll definitely put that. And then there's other things we, we want to accomplish too with this first retreat, but um, we'll definitely note that. Yep. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Yes, Dr. Ortiz. Thank you so much, Chair. <clears throat> I wanted to, um, first of all, thank thank uh, Mr. Rayner for 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 requesting, you know, kind of the the draft of the of the goals and milestones. I think that's really important. Um, pieces of that 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 that, that I want to make sure to to be able to take a look at are, um, uh, and obviously understanding that the precision is not necessarily going to be there, but um, resources, um, how that might impact the budget moving forward? I think that's an important question because the, the longer we have to think through that, the better off we'll be. Um, and then also how it breaks down to our, um, the capacity within the various functions that we have here in, in FCCPS to actually accomplish these goals. Because if there's investments that we need to make in the first couple of years, you know, then we're gonna wanna make sure to, 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 to prioritize those even if we don't see the results over the course of a few. Uh, over the, you know, over the, you know, until a couple of years later. So I think those are some aspects of, of, of you know, of what I'll be looking for, you know, in those draft, in, in some of those draft goals and milestones, just so that we have a good sense for making sure that we're, you know, putting our money where our mouth is, so to speak. Thank you. I think what we might do is we might mock one up um, and, and give sort of a, choose, select one goal and kind of work through it and mock it up and see um, what it looks like. And then maybe send that to you in a Friday update. And then you can provide me some feedback as what's missing, what, what do you like, what needs to be modified, adapted, changed. And then as we develop the more holistic set, can pass that on. Great, thank you. Anyone else? I can't see Dr. Dimmick down there. <laughs> Okay. It's like the Thanksgiving dinner table here. Anyone else? Well, thank you. Um, that was that was a great presentation, Dr. Noonan, and I really appreciate the feedback from the board members. And uh, this is just the beginning of, of many conversations to come. So thank you very much. And uh, moving on to agenda item 4.02 and giving it back to Dr. Noonan for a COVID update. Thank you, Chair Downs. Uh, we don't have a presentation this evening, um, but I did want to, I did write down some, or we, the team, I did not. <laughs> the team helped me with some bullets. So thank you, Rebecca, and thank you, John. Um, just to update you on kind of where we are um, with some things. Um, and and I'll, I'm happy to put this out as well uh, for all of you. But um, just at, at a really high level today, we did, we did receive a bit of discouraging news uh, regarding the numbers in Falls Church from the health department um, that after, um, New cases per 100,000 had fallen for five weeks, uh, and the percent of positivity cases had fallen for six straight weeks. Both did take a slight uptick this week. 
Um, and so we remain in high transmission uh, and where we have been for the last 11 weeks, but we're sort of chalking that up maybe to a Super Bowl blip. We're hoping that that's what it was as people got out and were watching the Super Bowl together and didn't quite um, follow all the guidance that we've, we've provided. Um, some good news though, is that over the weekend, we only received four new cases, um, which is uh, great. And that's significantly lower than what we've experienced over the last uh, 13. Um, last week, for example, we had 30 students and two staff cases. So we are seeing a precipitous um, fall and decline in our numbers. Um, many cases were families with multiple siblings, um, at home and community exposures at some social events where we actually have done some, um, because there was more than one or two students in a class, we did have to go into the contact tracing um, process. And we determined that um, the three cases that we were looking at, which we thought might have an epidemiological link, actually didn't. And they were from birthday parties and um, community sports. So reminding everybody, please um, keep your social distancing where, where possible. Um, we do continue to maintain our, our mitigation strategies here, including the deep cleaning, increased ventilation, hand washing. Um, all of our staff are, are continuing to wear their masks full time, social distancing uh, where possible. Um, lunch is outdoors, weather permitting, and we are providing, again, um, N95s uh, for our students and staff who want them. Um, and our health monitors, um, health monitoring for po positive testing continues. Um, so just a little bit of information in terms of opt-out, which might be in, informative to you or to the community. Um, first, um, everything went pretty smoothly after a couple of days last week. Um, and now we're back to sort of calm and routine, which I think we were all expecting would happen. Um, but we've got to get through that first sort of bump. Um, but as of noon today, as a division, we have 173 students um, or 6.8% of the students who have opted out. Uh, four at Jesse Thackeray, 35 at Mount Daniel, 49 at Oak Street, 38 at Henderson, and 47 at, um, at Meridian. Um, our PCR testing program uh, continues to go really well, uh, and I want to thank the team for that. Um, we have been um, testing on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we were recently notified from the Virginia Department of Health that they are going to change our vendor. Um, so we have been working with Sion uh, as our vendor, um, but Sion is going to be um, moved to, to a different program. Um, it has been really popular, just by the way, it's amazing how popular um, screening testing is um, to get your swabs. Um, and so we will change this vendor, but it is going to require us to re-register everyone who has been currently registered. Um, so when we met with the PEAK um, staff, uh, staff group two weeks ago or last week, um, we talked about that and asked, you know, how likely would you be to, to re-up? And they were like, we'd re-up in a second. It'd be no problem at all. So at least our staff um, feels comfortable redoing um, re their uh, registration for screening, and we hope that our community will too. Um, we have over 1,400 participants that are currently part of our process, um, and we test between three and 400 students and staff every day that we test. Um, and that usually yields two to four, it has been yielding two to four asymptomatic cases. Um, so know that um, we are going to be sending out a new registration for our new vendor as soon as uh, it comes out, as soon as they come out um, and hoping that, that people will get re-signed up. Um, I had a question and I wanted to weigh in also a little bit on field trips um, and field trips are one of those things that we're trying to get back to some sense of normalcy with. 
Um, all of our secondary level students have traveled, um, not all of them, but many of them to Disney. Um, some of you actually went. Um, and we also had our cheerleaders who went to Florida recently for their competition as well. Um, and, it, and quite honestly, it didn't seem um, reasonable for us to continue to um, limit um, field trips if we're sending kids to Florida. So um, we did go back and revisit the policy, uh, the internal policy. And so our elementary schools are beginning their um, spring trips. The fifth grade team is starting to plan their Williamsburg trip. Um, the fourth grade team is not going to go to Williamsburg, Jamestown this year, according to Mr. Dr. Swanson. Um, for a variety of reasons, but there will be other opportunities for kids. So the planning's being done um, safely with mitigation in mind. Um, we're asking that chaperones who do come are vaccinated and follow the masking requirements um, of staff because we do ask that all adults um, remain masked. Um, and then the schools will follow the mitigation requirements of wherever it is that we're going. Um, so in, in, an, uh, in a circumstance where we go where masks are mandatory, students will have to wear a mask whether they've opted out or not um, and then of course on the bus uh, anywhere you have to wear a mask because that still remains um, a, a, a legal issue for us um, just a reminder to everybody we've always um, sort of talked about this and and it's interest we're sort of in an interesting time it was it was never easy to to like close school um, it was never easy to implement mitigation strategies but I would challenge us to think that it's it's harder to it was harder to reopen school and it was harder to it's harder to pull back on mitigation strategies. Um, and we've always said all along that it's never been an on off switch. It's always been a dial up or dial down. That's been our language um, for the last two years. Um, so as we head into the future, I think we are looking at a much more fluid um, circumstance with respect to those mitigation strategies dependent on the transmission in our community. Um, right now we're in high um, and we should be implementing every single strategy that we have available to us to ensure that we can get down to out of high. Our big neighbor next door is not even high anymore. They, they are um, they're declining faster than the city of Falls Church. Um, so we want to maintain those mitigation strategies as best we can. Um, but as as our numbers drop, we want to be able to lower the dial a little bit and pull back some of those mitigation strategies um, that may may be out there. We are anticipating some new guidance from the Center for Disease Control in the next couple of weeks regarding um, masking in schools. And when that comes out, we of course will make the appropriate modifications. Um, but what, I've, what I have heard from our staff, uh, and this was another issue that came up at the peak meeting, was that um, their desire was to remain masked um, as, as a, a general rule for everybody with the opt-out of course. Um, and until the CDC tells us otherwise, and um, I'm I'm in support of that, and so we're gonna we're gonna wait for that to happen, and and we'll kind of see where we go from there. Um, I've had some conversations with colleagues in the region who are starting to put together some um, some processes that show you know once you get into moderate, you know masks may be um, highly recommended but not mandatory. And when, once we get to low, they wouldn't be mandatory. I'm not saying that that's where we're going, but these are the kinds of things that are starting to come out of school divisions um, as we continue to talk about what life is gonna be like as we head into um, hopefully a post-COVID era. So um, all of that to say that um, uh, the opt-out will remain, whatever, whatever we decide with masking and whatever direction we go, parents will still have the opportunity to opt out. Um, as, as you all know, the legislature did pass um, the bill, both Senate first, then the House. It did go to the governor. Governor signed it, put an emergency 
clause in there and that will go into effect uh, March 1st. And so March 1st, um, that, that opt out for everyone else. Just remember, we were the first to opt out, um, but everybody else will start opting out who isn't currently opting out on March 1st. So um, with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have regarding mitigation. Thank you, Dr. Noonan. Uh, Ms. Silverman. Hi, a um, couple of questions. Um, first, uh, kind of following up on Dr. Dimmick's question from the last board meeting about an, uh, about an off-ramp. Mm -hmm. I know that you had said the opt-out process is the off-ramp. I'm hoping that once CDC guidance is updated, we can, I, I know there a couple of weeks ago, there may have not been the appetite in order to move forward on an off-ramp, but I hope that once CDC guidance comes out, we can really discuss an off-ramp and unfortunately an on-ramp for all of our mitigation. 100%, um, yes, we, that, okay. that's the plan. And, and once the CDC guidance does come out, we, I'll let you all know what we're gonna be doing going forward. Um, but to your point also, we need to make sure that there's still an on-ramp just in case. Absolutely. Um, two, I'm sorry, I've got a few questions if that's okay, Chair. Um, two, epidemiological links within the classroom. Are we, can you just restate what we are currently at right now? Sure, none, none within the last um, months. We had, we had one that was associated with wrestling that was an epidemiological link. Uh, and then there was another one um, months before that, but no epidemiological links in any of our classrooms. So the first one was not in the classroom either, or? No, it was also in sports. Okay, so we're still at zero. Two, two sports, yeah. Okay. Um, three, can you go into a little bit more detail as to why the fourth grade trip isn't happening? I, I can't, because I, okay. I don't know. That's a local decision from Dr. Swanson and the fourth grade team. Okay. Um, but if, if you will send me an email, um, yeah. I'd be happy to, to ask and follow up. That'd be great. Um, four. I, I know part of it was some of the health concerns of students and staff on that fourth grade team. Okay. Um, busing, mm -hmm. assigned seating, um, being allowed to switch buses. I know for a lot of working parents, you know, getting their Mount Daniel or on a different bus line to go to a friend's house in order, you know, for um, child care coverage, play dates, allowed to um, sit wherever they want on the buses. Now that contact tracing guidelines have changed. What are your thoughts on this piece? Uh, I, I don't think I'm prepared to give them to you tonight, but okay. I, I'm happy to think about it and provide you with a response on Friday. That's great. Okay. Okay. And then finally, can you, I'm just curious why this can't happen. I'm sure you've, you've got a good reason. Um, On-site testing for a kid who expresses a symptom while they're at school. You know, I've gotten that miserable phone call from the school, come pick, come pick up your child, he or she has a headache. Um, and you know, those are the dreaded phone calls that we sure. all get. Um, in the past, a headache would never get a kid sent home. Understandably today, the kid is sent home. Is there a way to do on-site testing? I mean, given that I'm administering the test, I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm the person administering the test, um, you know, visually online with somebody sitting across the screen from me. Can a a nurse give the test to the student at school? And if not, why not? So, so these tests come from the Virginia Department of Health, those um, Binax Nows that are in the schools. Um, and, and because of that, it does require you calling into this line because they're tracking all of those assess, they're tracking all of those data um, that are coming from those rapid tests. It was my understanding, and I, I, and I apologize if I misunderstood, 
um, but there was going to be uh, an iPad in each of the clinics that was going to allow stu students with their parents right there to be able to log in and take the test. And, and I'm looking at Rebecca Sharp and she's nodding her head. I, I so, see her and I'm happy yeah, she's nodding so, her head, yes. So, so my assumption is that that hasn't changed so that anyone who has a symptom, if a parent is asked to come in and pick them up, they can test right there on the iPad and if they're not COVID positive, they, they can stay. And that's part of our test to stay. So if that isn't happening, um, I, I, you know, actually, let me just say this. Let me follow up with the principals and just make sure that everybody's clear that that's the case, because that's why those iPads were put into the nurse's office so that parents could log in and do that testing right away. Okay. And Madam Chair, I think Ms. Sharp was raising her hand or I don't know. Ms. Sharp, do you want to? I, oh, I, I saw you wanted, raising your hand. I just wanted to follow up on what Dr. Noonan was saying. We did put an iPad in each school, and that is something that should be happening. If a parent wants to give the administer the test to their student, that should happen right there, you know, at the school level. That was the purpose of utilizing the VISTA funds to help support that. But I think, um, Ms. Silverman, your question is, can our staff administer the test so a parent, you know, doesn't have to come to the school and do that? Unfortunately, the answer to that question is no, that our staff per VDH um, rules, our staff can't administer the test. You as a parent, you have to log on, give permission for your student to be tested and administer the test. Well, that at helps. least but it does. Come, but if they come in, they can do it right there. Yep, and that's absolutely. a step in the right in the right direction compared to what I I mean I've gone through with having to take my kid home until mm -hmm. the next day. So at least we're that was the whole reason that we got the the got in enrolled in the the testing program with VDH. It was more for that than it was for the surveillance testing. Mm -hmm. um, so we've actually been doing that for months. Uh, and I and I and if you know of something that isn't happening, please let me know. But we will follow up with the schools to re remind them that you know parents can go ahead and test their students. Right there in the clinic. Perfect. Thank you another, so much. Another piece also depends on the type of symptom the child has. Also, that's also an issue as well. Okay. Oops. Thank you, Ms. Sharps. And I'm done with my many, many questions. Thank you for indulging. Oh, thank you, Ms. Questions. Silverman. Any other questions? Yes, Ms. Tice. Uh, I know, as we're all aware, there was a lot of confusion around the initial rollout of the opt-out and how that was going to play out. Could you just take a moment to, to reiterate one more time for the community what, what that means when a child opts out and how that's going to be handled in the schools? Sure. Um, I'd be curious to know where the confusion was, because it was I, I thought it was pretty well articulated that there was an opt-out form online, and that's the way it is still. There's an opt-out form online that parents can go ahead and fill out. Um, and then they have to bring it to the school. And the reason that we ask parents to bring the form to school is so that kids aren't filling out the opt-outs themselves. Um, not that our kids would do that, but it's a verification process more than anything. And so, um, so we, we don't ask parents typically to bring forms into school, but this is a unique one because what we know is right now we're at 6% of our students across the division that are unmasked through the opt-out. And 94% of the parents have said, please don't let my kid opt out. So the only way that we can operationally sort of manage that is for parents to bring that form in. So um, fill it out online, print it out, bring it in, and your student is able to opt out. Right. Um, and then once they are opted out, 
just what will what you know what will yeah. the day be like for those students versus the student who's not opted out? Um, it will be no different. <laughs> um, it'll be the same except they won't be wearing a mask. Right. And and in terms of in terms of Vista testing, do we have a sense of how many of them are Vista testing? Or are we not even tracking that at this point? We're not tracking that at this point. Sure. I sorry. Yes, Ms. Silverman. Sorry, I had one last question. Um, was there a possibility of scheduling any of the fall field trips into the spring? Uh, I, I don't know that. I don't know whether they are or not. There's, there's always a possibility, but I do think the elementary schools are taking it a little slow. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to give them that flexibility. Okay. Vice Chair Gould. Um, uh, questions about the uh, in-person meeting with let's say a parent teacher meeting, um, are those allowed to be held or are parents allowed to come into the school to meet with the teacher or are those supposed to be virtual or is it really up to the teacher based on what they, can you clarify the rules on that? Sure, um, we, we have been limiting um, visitors to the school. Um, and so most of our teachers have been doing them online. Um, if a parent really feels um, compelled to wanna be in person, um, we'll work with that, that family individually. Um, and, and they would need to be masked and socially distanced. Okay, so that'd be your question. Okay, and then can you clear up also the uh, sports versus extracurricular activities? I think there's sure. some confusion about the, the governance of those two and how they how we have uh, perceived different rules, but I know there's obviously different governance yeah. bodies for each of those. It does, it does look in, inequitable for sure, um, but Virginia High School League um, oversees all sports and competitive activities. And as a consequence of that, um, they also have their own rules for masking and the like. So we have deferred to the Virginia High School League on sports and competitive activities. And competitive, competitive activities would be things like speech and debate, uh, for example, which is governed by VHSL. Um, other activities um, that, and this is where it's a little nuancy, uh, a co-curricular versus an extracurricular. A co-curricular activity for us from an operational standpoint is any activity that's required for a student to be there um, outside of the school day or their grade would be impacted. So for example, if you are um, in, um, in, in um, choir, for example, you can't miss the choir concert. If you miss the choir concert, your grade will suffer, right? So what we're saying is that that's a co-curricular activity. And as a consequence of it being a co-curricular activity, the rules of engagement regarding opting out remain in place because it's tied to the regular school day. An extracurricular activity like chess or um, you know, theater sports or robotics or whatever are extracurricular. You're not required to be there. And since you're not required to be there, we are asking students to mask. That's great. And then the uh, last question following uh, Ms. Tice's question. So can you just confirm that if someone opts out, the, uh, the, the, the requirement for, for uh, screening is strongly recommended as well as the, um, the distancing, if that happens, is going to be, you know, I, I think we, we talked about is the, the, the class would distance if needed versus an individual student opting out? Right. Um, we are we are requesting that people get screened. Um, it's a request. It always has been a request. Um, and, and we're hoping that people will take us up on that. Um, if, however, they decide not to, that's that's fine. That's their choice. 
uh, in classrooms, um, we are spreading out a little bit more um, in, in all classrooms and all kids. So um, it's not, we're not moving kids that are unmasked further away from kids that are masked. And we're just moving all of our kids a little bit further apart at the elementary level. Um, I, I just want to say, <laughs> Maybe I won't say. Yeah. All right. Okay. Just... Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, the I, I would say I think we've all read the articles in the post about other districts and what they have done in terms of opting out for uh, for students. And I think that's um, you know from plexiglass and classrooms and auditoriums and other like. I think the the the, the how we have handled it, I think has been uh, has been um, Allowing every kid to feel uh, welcomed and safe is, I think it's, it's hard to do, especially given where we are, but I think we've done a great job uh, this past week with that. So it's always um, been the plan. Yep. So, um, and then the only other question is what governs the board for us to be wearing masks? When are we allowed to take off our masks? No, that's a great question. <laughs> right now, um, the Department of Labor um, in Virginia standards indicate that all adults in the building need to be wearing masks. We're a school we're a school arm. So as a consequence, and we work here and you're on the payroll. Um, so as long as um, we are doing that, you, you also will be governed by those Dolly regs. My understanding is that, however, those Dolly regs are likely to change in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then at that point, we will likely kick into a similar algorithm to what we anticipate we'll be doing at the schools. If we're in low, that's optional. Uh, if we're in moderate, it's highly suggested. If we're in if we're in sub, substantial or high, it, it would be required. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> Unless Thank you bring your opt out form. I, I or might your, have your, one ready to your go. Your parent brings one in. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Dr. Ortiz. Yeah, I have uh, two two questions, Dr. Noonan. Um, the first is um, just a clarification. I think if if people aren't paying too close attention to the law that was recently passed that goes into effect, um, that law is simply is a, is a codification of this ability for parents to opt out of masking. Um, it's reported in the press sometimes as, um, as a mask optional law. And, and that, that's kind of shorthand, but also not exactly correct. So is, am, I, am I correct in that thinking? You are, and it's a good clarification because students can't opt themselves out and it's not a mask optional rule. It's parents have the opportunity to opt their student out. Um, and so that's why we have the affirmative opt-out process in place. Okay, very good. And then the second question is kind of more technical and probably is something that um, uh, uh, is, is a request for when you start to think through, you and your team start to think through what a different set of mitigations and, and implementation of those mitigations are. Um, you know, one of the things that um, has come to light is the relative um, coarseness of case rates and um and um and positivity rates as a as a as a as, a, as an ironclad um indicator of overall transmission you know, state of transmission there are probably other epidemiological ways to do to do it depending on what data are available so to the degree that um you can shed light on exactly um the relative uncertainty in some of those numbers when you come back with with your with your, um, with your plan, I think that would be appreciated. Um, can you clarify what you mean by the relative uncertainty? So, I, so what happens is that what we've heard is, um, or whatever we've heard, but you know, within the press as well as within, um, I think even, even the Department of Health website, there's been an acknowledgement that um, given 
the um, quantity of testing, the availability of at-home testing, that actual positive, you know, uh, positivity rates as well as you know reported case rates um, has a certain amount of, of error involved in it. It's not necessarily truly representative of exactly what the transmission rate is. Not that you could ever get that, you know, perfect. So I think, you know, and, and, and then I think my understanding is that some states use wastewater and tracking of mm -hmm. and wastewater or something like that. You know, I don't know the degree to which all those different tools are available or whatever the tools might be available, but I think, you know, making sure we have some good communication about exactly, you know, this is the, you know, the epidemiology tells us the following. Um, and, and these are what the, the figures are because, you know, I'm not certainly a public health expert and I wanna make sure that, you know, with respect to at least the decisions we're making, they're as informed as possible by, by what's available. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I, I will um, just respond that, you know, on March 13th, it'll be two years. Um, we actually closed on March 12th, the day before the governor's closed schools. Um, but it'll be two years. And we've, we've said all along that we were going to follow the CDC guidance. Um, and so the data that we're really trying to utilize to make decisions about masking going forward really does come from the CDC and from the Virginia Department of Health website. Um, I'm sure that there are other options for looking at um, data through a different lens. I, I don't know necessarily what they are, but considering where we are in the process, I don't know that I necessarily am excited about deviating from where we are at the moment because we may be within you know, a few weeks or, or a month from the CDC changing guidance completely and, and masks are just over. Um, so I, I understand your question. I'll keep looking um, and I'll, I'll certainly... Um, see what I can find. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. Any other questions? Yes, Mr. Redinger. Can you guys hear me? Awesome. Um, yes. So I, I'm just going to say, um, I think one thing I might say a little longer than I ought to, um, but that is, I just wanted to express my thanks to you and the school staff for all you have been through in the past week. You know, the parents and the kids, we've all been through a lot. Um, and like I've said before in prior board meetings, I think everybody who comes at this issue feels very strongly about it and feels about it for a very good reason. You know, people who uh, want to continue to see masks in schools because their children are at risk or immunocompromised or they have people at home. Um, family members at home, they feel very strongly that everything ought to be done. And there are lots of parents who have kids whose development has suffered because of the use of masks and they have challenges to go through and they feel very strongly that they should not. Um, it's an environment that is, I think, very well suited for having a significant number of angry people. Um, and you know, angry not because they're bad people, but because they want the best for their kids. It's a little like, you know, the we try in, in the school board never to talk about whether we're going to get rid of early release Wednesdays because you know, it just splits the school population and it makes people angry with no real purpose, right? Um, and I feel somewhat like that has happened here. There are just, there's a, we've lost a lot of tolerance and I've personally seen some of the emails that have come in to you and your staff and to board members and at least one significant threat. Um, and I just wanted to let you know, I, I think, all of us on the board, and certainly I appreciate um, that you know you've had to navigate this with few resources and with a lot of challenges. And so 
Well, I don't think we as a board, we as a system have done everything perfectly. I have absolutely no doubt that we've all tried to do our very best. And I mean, we all, all of us in the schools together to protect the kids as best we can. And so I just wanted to say thank you for, for all you and Rebecca Sharp and Ms. Michael and really everybody in here, Ms. Minson, <laughs> Mr. Bates. I could, I could just list anybody in the schools and you know, thank you for all you've been through and all the work you put into this because I know um, you haven't been sleeping well at night. You haven't told me that, but I know you haven't been because sometimes I haven't been. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Reininger. That's hard to follow, so I'm not going to try to follow, but Mr. Anger, thank you for your for your comments. And uh, I think we everyone on the board completely supports uh, your your feelings and, and your statement. Uh, one, you know, one um, additional, I guess, group of people that we need to thank are our teachers. And um, one of the things, and for those of you who are listening who don't know what PEAK is, PEAK is our professional employee advisory committee, and it, it consists of teachers and staff from all the different um, schools, um, all five schools. And what was interesting, um, and I did share the minutes with everyone, but I'm not, I don't think that um, in the minutes it indicated, I thought it was really interesting that the teachers talked about, because now that the, the students are all equally spread apart, they had to uh, change a lot of their teaching and their lesson plans and things, um, especially at the, um, when it, actually every level they tried to do a lot of group work and that's now gone so um one teacher even said it's some almost like we're back to virtual learning which is which is sad so um you know i just just to it, it has been very stressful for our teachers um you know on friday they were told that um we had to spread everyone equal distance apart and again they had to change their lesson plans and so that they're now changed because there's no more group work for now, at least. So I just want to put that out there to thank the teachers. And Dr. Noonan, um, along those lines, um, as Ms. Silverman was talking about off-ramp, maybe somehow we could connect that piece that when you feel like it's safe to have our desks pulled back together and so we can, because group work um, is a very important part of our education system and getting, getting our students to learn to work together. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's what we're preparing them for college and, and life beyond, uh, beyond Falls Church State Public Schools. So uh, if that could be maybe part of that off-ramp um, to when we can change what, what it looks like in the classroom. Thank you. 100%, yes. We've, we've started to have those conversations. Great, thank you. Anyone else? Well, again, to echo Mr. Reinger's uh, comments um, to everyone um, on the screen, everyone in the room and um, teachers and staff and, and parents and students, this has been, um, you know, as, as Mr. Reinger and Dr. Dimick and uh, Dr. Noonan, we, we've, uh, we were sworn in, in in January and two months later, COVID hit. So, um, you know, this has been two years and it's been a long two years. So thank you to everyone in our community for, um, you know, supporting uh supporting us and as mr ranger said we're all just trying to do our best to help our students so thank you um we'll move on now to uh number 4.03 of the agenda and this is back to the budget now uh dr noon did you want to have any kind of remarks before we went into this part of the agenda i do just have a couple of remarks sure. um and first of all it's it's just a big thank you um this is an opportunity maybe for us to pivot a little bit um, to something really positive, not that, you know, where we are in COVID might be headed in a good direction, 
Um, but th this is really an opportunity for us to talk about um, a really great budget that has, has come forward, um, meaning that we have enough money to do a lot of the things that we've been wanting to do for a while, um, particularly around compensation and um, some program growth. Um, you may recall the last few years, we've had less than 4% growth. One year we had zero, actually negative growth in our budget. Um, and when we were going through the process of uh, building our new high school, one of the things we talked about then and, and, and we'll continue to talk about every year is that it takes at least 4% for us to be able to operate year to year between the, the cost of living adjustments, the step increase and the like. And for us to move forward with a, a six point you know, two percent increase in the budget um, for the first time in a long time that we've had more than less than four percent is is not insignificant, um, and we're really excited. So, well, I am very pleased um, to tonight. I hope pass the superintendent's budget to all of you, and let it become um, the school board's advertised uh, uh, advertised budget. Um, and before I do that, I do want to take just a second to thank Kristen Michael, our chief operating officer, who's been instrumental in, in working through this, along with our budget director, Michelle Kopik. Um, I know the two of them spent hours and hours pulling all of the information together, but um, between they and, and the rest of the team, we've been able to put together a really, I think, a solid budget. Um, we also appreciate the two opportunities that the uh, communities had to come in and give feedback about the budget. Unfortunately, nobody did come in, um, but we did um, do a community town hall um, presentation or a, uh, not a town hall, sorry, um, a presentation to the community that um, sort of spoke to what the budget looked like. Um, and we have answered a few questions from the community that have come in. want to thank all of you for your really great questions that you've raised throughout the process. Um, and, and that, you know, as I've said before, those questions not only keep us honest, but it reminds us why we're doing the work that we're doing and, and also informs you all as we go forward. Um, so the four of you that are brand new to the budget just want to congratulate you on uh, making it this far in the budget process without being completely overwhelmed. Um, and, and since our last meeting, I did want to talk about four slight changes that have happened before you adopt tonight's budget. Um, the first is after the conversation um, that you all had with us, you wanted us to revisit the national board um, stipend for our nationally board certified teachers. And we have been able to do that. And we um, are going to be able to up the amount um, to $3,000 a year. And there was an audible gasp at the peak meeting when we announced that um, the other day. Um, and there's some great excitement and enthusiasm. And that will be the highest um, paid stipend in the region. So I know, Mr. Reitinger, that was something that was important to you. And we believe that that will be helpful for us in terms of recruiting National Board Certified Teachers um, and then also supporting people to get into the program. So not just recruitment, but also support getting moving forward. Um, so that has been has, ha that modification has been changed and um, that will come out of the superintendent's reserve, which is an innovation fund um, and and uh, um, more excited about getting that to our teachers. Um, another thing that came up was the $15 an hour from uh, Ms. Tice. Um, I'm happy to um, say that in the moment that you asked us, we had one employee that was making $14.91 an hour. Um, as soon as you um, make this the school board's advertised budget, we plan to take that person and move them to above $15 an hour, and then we'll truncate that scale. So no one will come into the city of Falls Church Schools making less than $15 an hour. 
Uh, and then we'll include that as part of our compensation study that we talked about um, last meeting as well. So um, we're excited to be able to raise that minimum to a living wage of $15 an hour. Um, we also were asked to take a look at the end of the scale for employees that were at the very end. Um, what about them? And it's a great question. So just as a reminder to everybody, whatever the cost of living adjustment is, everyone on the scale gets that cost of living adjustment. They just don't get that other step um, that would be the next step. Um, but we were able to um, pull together some year-end balance and we're gonna be able to provide an $1,000 bonus um, on top of the um, cost of living adjustment for all of our staff who are at the end of the scale. And then the last is the cost of living adjustment. Um, our healthcare rates did not come in as high as we anticipated. We anticipated about a 10% increase in healthcare. Um, it was closer to six and a half percent. So that saved us a little bit of money. And we made a promise to our staff, anything that came in that was um, a savings, we would pour towards our cost of living adjustment. So we are making the modification to a 2.25 um, cost of living adjustment from a 2% adjustment. And that continues to um, be in play. So if we do continue to get more money or more money falls out of the budget from the state, we will continue to look at how we might be able to increase that cost of living adjustment even more going forward. So um, beyond that, um, I'm, I'm hopeful that tonight you all will adopt the superintendent's budget as advertised um, and presented um, and make it your own as the school board's advertised budget. And I think you've got a few motions that are out there. Um, so I'd be happy to answer any questions though before, before you move ahead. Any questions from anyone? Well, before we, we begin these motions, motions, I just want to thank uh, Ms. Michael again and Ms. Michelle Kopic for all of your uh, due diligence and your work on this. And also our school board members, especially our new ones. I know this is a new process for everyone, but it just shows, you know, when people step forward and, and question things like the um, the national board certified teachers, why, why is that stipend not higher? Why are we not paying $15 an hour? And then Dr. Noonan, your responsiveness to that, Ms. Michael, finding that money to um, really uh, answer our question, you know, our challenge to you all, and, and you really um, were able to answer our, our concerns there. So thank you to everyone for your uh, work on this. It's it's tedious, and um, but you know, with Ms. Michael and Ms. Kopic uh, really giving us such a great roadmap and such great data, it's really helpful for us to to interpret and, and make some decisions and ask intelligent questions and have those questions answered. So thank you very much. Any other, any feedback before we move on? Okay. So we're now at uh, section um, right item 4.03, approval of submission to city manager of operating budget. May I have a motion, please? Yes, Dr. Dimmick. Chair, I move that the school board approve for submission to the city manager, the fiscal, fiscal year 2023 advertised operating fund budget in the amount of $57,443,558, which requires the city appropriation of $46,574,671 as detailed in the superintendent's proposed budget with the following modifications. Increase the FCCPS stipend paid to national board certified teachers from $1,000 to $3,000 by reducing the superintendent's innovation fund applying the savings from the final health rates as compared to the projected rates to increase the cost of living for employees 
by 0.25% implement a $15 per hour minimum wage for FCCPS employees affected, effective March 1, 2022, and provide a one-time stipend of $1,000 to employees at, on the top of the salary scale in fiscal year 2023 using fund balance. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. May I have a second? Second. Thank you, Mr. Reinger. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Any abstentions? Ms. Goodell? From the motion passes. Thank you very much. We will move on to uh, agenda item 4.04, .04, approval of submission to city manager of food service budget. May I have a motion, please? Yes, Ms. Silverman. I move that the school board approve the submission to the city manager, the FY 2023 advertised food service budget in the amount of $1,105,200 as detailed in the superintendent's proposed budget. Thank you, Ms. Silverman. May I have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Any abstentions? Ms. Goodell? And the motion passes. Thank you. Now moving on to section 4.05, approval of submission to city manager of FY23 community services budget. May I have a motion, please? Yes, Dr. Dimmick. I move that the school board approve for submission to the city manager, the FY2023 advertised community services fund budget in the amount of 2 million $310,700 requiring a total city appropriation of $107,500 as detailed in the superintendent's proposed budget. Thank you, Dr. Dimmick. May I have a second? Second. Thank you, Ms. Tice. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Any abstentions? Ms. Goodell? And the motion passes. Thank you. And we have a budget. Thank you. Congratulations to all of you. Nice job. <laughs> I always I always say when we when it comes time for these motions, I always say to my fourth grader, this is why you need to learn how to read numbers <laughs> when you make these these motions. If I can just make a comment, I like how we're doing closed meeting at the end of the session. Is that gonna be a regular agenda? It, it's only at the end of the meeting um, because it's a work session uh, originally. It's not a regular meeting, but we can certainly talk about it with the chair and vice chair. Okay. I just, I, for the community's purpose, in order to stay up and I can't stay up till 11 p.m. unless I'm in a board meeting. So. <laughs> sure, we can talk about, I know I've had that thought before too. So it, sometimes it depends on um, what's happening in close, the timing of it. But if, if there's nothing that's making that time. Yes, Dr. Mr. Reiter. <laughs> Just that we we we've talked about this over the years, and the the reason we, in a common closed meeting, do it earlier is that we make personnel decisions, and so there are people actually out there who's you know are listening to find out about the personnel decisions, and we don't want them to have to wait to stay up. But we try to do closed meetings later if they're going to be an hour or two long. But for run of the mill, you know, appointments, resignations, and things like that, we try to do it earlier so that people can see them especially for appointments. Oh, but we can, yes, Ms. Silverman. I was just gonna say that's very understandable. Thank you for that explanation. 
But we can definitely be, you know, and Vice Chair Gould, that when we did about the agenda, we can definitely try to take that into consideration for sure. Okay, thank you. Uh, any, we will now move on. Oh, shoot, I just lost. Sorry, everyone. I just lost Vortex. Um, okay, hold on. I'm getting it. I got it. Okay. We are now moving on to section five, the closed meeting. If I could have, uh, we're at, at section 5.01. If I could have a motion to read us into close, please. Yes, Dr. Ortiz. Pursuant to the Virginia Freedom of Information Act, I move that the board convene a closed meeting for the following purpose to discuss or consider the identified subject matter, legal matters under section 2.2-3711A7, in particular consultation with legal counsel and briefings by staff members or consultants pertaining to actual or probable litigation where such consultation or briefing and open meeting would adversely affect the negotiating or litigating posture of the public body. Thank you, Dr. Ortiz. May I have a second? Second. Thank you. All those in favor say yes. 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 All those opposed say no. Any abstentions? Ms. Goodell? And the motion passes. Okay, so I, I believe, Dr. Noonan, we were going to uh, tell those who are listening that this is going to be our last agenda item. That's and correct. so we'll be we'll be for those watching, we'll be signing off here and uh, we'll be going into close and then we'll be adjourning from there. Is that correct? Exactly correct. Okay. So thank you, everyone.